Hello and welcome to the Informed Animal Ally presented by the Vancouver Humane Society. This is the animal ethics podcast where we share the ins and outs of topics like cruelty, legislation, and advocacy here in BC and across Canada. I'm Chantal Archambault, Communications Director for the Vancouver Humane Society. Joining me today, as always, is VHS's Executive Director, Amy Morris. Hello. Over the past six months, we've been going through a series on animal cruelty and how Canadian laws protect or fail to protect animals in various contexts. So this episode is going to cover some of the ways that humans use animals that result in some of the most serious pain and suffering. So as usual, we recommend that you have a plan in place to practice self-care and process negative emotions that come up. This week, we'll be discussing animals used in testing, research, and education. To start out, Amy, could you give us an overview of some of the uses of animals in science in Canada? Well, animals are used in research, teaching, and testing Usually we talk about these as a group. I'll start by talking about the ways animals are used in research. I want to preface this discussion recognizing that people come from a variety of backgrounds because we know there's been human medical innovation that has involved animals in in the process of how we've gotten to where we are today. But we at Vancouver Humane Society are of the mind, based on all the available information we have, that we're at a place now in society where innovation can move past animal use in research, teaching, and testing, and really be even more effective. For a long time, we've had the three R's, which have been advocated for for many years, which are replacement, refinement, and reduction, as it relates to this area of research, teaching, and testing, and animal use. But although these are spoken about, it still seems to be common practice for institutions and people involved in them to do what's always been done rather than to consider innovation. <laughs> the The sort of sad reality of this is that it's costing billions of dollars and more importantly, millions of animal lives unnecessarily. So we'll highlight alternatives later on in the podcast, but I just want to start off with some facts about where things are right now. We know animal use can range from research with the intent to improve animal well-being to medical research for human benefit. Universities have research divisions that include animals. These range from mild experiments, sometimes for the benefit of the animals, to extremely invasive experiments. And this research is managed through what are called animal care committees, where a group of individuals meet to decide whether and how the research can proceed. What happens with all these universities is that they report their research data to an entity called the Canadian Council on Animal Care. And we'll talk more about them later. But essentially, more than three and a half million animals were used by institutions that were accredited by the, we call it the CCAC, in 2021. So it's a huge number of animals. Uh, That breaks down into five different categories. We have studies of a fundamental nature in science relating to essential structures or functions, which is kind of a a broad category that's more than 50% of all animals used by CCAC accredited institutions. Yes. And just jumping in, um, this is also called basic research and it's, it's designed to find out more about 
the fundamentals about things like animals' behavior, animals' biology, and physiology. So some examples of that are, it can range from studying migratory patterns of wild animals to studying the heart rate of stellar sea lions in captivity, studying the effects of caffeine consumption on the brains of mice. So it's really a wide range of experiments and research. Absolutely. And so then the rest, the other 50% about, break down into studies for medical purposes, including veterinary medicine that relate to human or animal diseases or disorders, studies for regulatory testing of products for the protection of humans, animals, or the environment, studies for the development of products or appliances for human or veterinary medicine, and education and training of individuals in post-secondary institutions and facilities. And that could be something like training a veterinary student to administer a vaccine. Yes, it's quite broad, <laughs> certainly the, the many uses of animals. And one other way that they can be categorized is the categories of invasiveness. CCAC has broken these down into five categories. The first one uh, is, is experiments on invertebrates or on live isolates. And they just don't track these animals at all. We have no idea how many invertebrates are being tested on and what kinds of experiments are being done. From there, and, and these are typically labeled A, B, C, D, E. I won't go over the letter for each of them, but experiments which cause little or no discomfort or stress to animals. And, you know, the, obviously these are broad terms and there's different opinions on what little or no discomfort or stress looks like, but that's 36% of animals used in 2021 fall into that category. And then it gets more invasive where it's minor stress or pain of a short duration. That's 28% of animals used in 2021. And then it goes towards animals who are experiencing moderate to severe distress or discomfort. That's 33% of animals used in 2021. So when we're looking at that 3 million number, that means at least a million animals are in that category. And then the next one is procedures which cause severe pain near, at, or above the pain tolerance threshold of unanesthetized conscious animals. And that number is fairly low, 3% of animals, but that actually represents 115,000 animals in 2021 that had to endure that level of suffering and pain. It's already so concerning to hear that research is allowed to cause such a severe level of pain in animals. And Again, I just want to emphasize again, when we think about those types of testing, research and teaching, we're talking about huge numbers of animals being used and reported to the CCAC. So again, there were almost 3.7 million animals tracked in 2021. So about 1.3 million animals in one year involved in procedures that caused moderate to severe distress or discomfort. And as Amy mentioned, more than 115,000 who were subjected to the most severe level of pain. So it's really enormous amounts of suffering that's going on. In the most invasive experiments, the animals used most frequently were fishes, mice, and rats. Other animals used for testing include dogs, cats, rabbits, guinea pigs, the same species many people consider to be part of their families, who we know to be capable of love and complex social bonds, and who, of course, we know experience fear and pain. So that's really concerning. And now that we have that context for how animals are used in science, Amy, could you run us through a little bit more about what the CCAC is? What are some of the processes and laws in place to protect the animals used in science? And what are the limitations on protections for animals? 
Yeah, so the CCC, as I mentioned, is the Canadian Council on Animal Care. This is essentially an entity that is non-governmental. It's it's essentially a, like a non-profit type organization, but they don't have any regulatory authority. Um, all the institutions that are working with them are doing so out of a desire to be accredited. So they provide minimum ethical standards and required guidelines for the use and care of animals in science. It is a requirement to get a certificate of GAP, Good Animal Practice in Canada. So if an institution is going to receive federal funding for animal-based products, they'll have to get that certification. So there, it is tied to some funding projects. Institutions that import animals to a lab environment also need to be in good standing with the CCAC. I spoke a little bit about animal care committees before, but just to provide more context about what those are, uh, universities have these in place and the CCAC guidelines dictate who needs to be on those animal care committees. They're made up of researchers, chair, and members of the public. And I think that's really interesting because they don't dictate how the member of the public needs to be identified. And that's such a broad term, right? Because a, a member of the public could have a, a variety of thoughts and opinions on how animals could be used and should be used. And so every university does it differently. Some might post it publicly. A uh, more common route is that the existing committee members might be asked to reach out to their networks and try to find someone who might be willing to be involved. They can't have a conflict of interest, so it can't be a spouse. It needs to be arm's length. There is a time commitment to it, and it's volunteer, so it's not a paid position. And the role is pretty extensive, where they're reviewing protocols renewals for protocols and these are protocols of how and when animals can be used there's also amendments sometimes to protocols so you get these maybe one to three projects a month to review and people will do maybe a few years of this kind of role and then move on and they need to find more people to get involved you know at ubc for example there's one committee for all animal care projects and then they distribute different protocols out depending on the number of members that there are they they are kind of the members of the public are one of several committee members it's a great way to get involved in advocating for animals in a meaningful way we can talk about that more people can reach out to universities to directly to find out more about their selection process it's also a, a way to really deeply get an understanding of what it looks like to have different research and teaching and testing going on involving animals in universities. Absolutely. And that being said about all those requirements, you mentioned it's not a legal requirement to have CCAC accreditation. So there's private institutions that are not CCAC accredited that also conduct research. And that's unregulated in Canada outside of the criminal code and provincial animal protection laws. I don't know of any cases that have been put forward for animal cruelty charges in Canada related to animal use in research. And employees are typically in an uncomfortable power hierarchy. So they wouldn't be likely to report poor conditions, even if they aren't happy with how animals are cared for or are treated. And there's also agreements about non-disclosure and confidentiality that would make it more difficult to advocate for animals that are being kept in research and testing institutions. You can take a look at the list of CCAC institutions on their website, and you can see that most of those are universities. 
So now that we have a little bit of background on oversight and laws, we can delve a little deeper into what progress is being made to change the laws. And one change on the table right now has to do with toxicity testing. Yeah, this is a really interesting one because several years ago in in 2015, Bill S-214 was introduced in Parliament to legally phase out toxicity testing on cosmetic ingredients in Canada. So testing on animals for essentially cosmetic purposes. It made it through Senate and then to the second reading of the House, which is very far along. It, you know, it just needed one more reading to pass. And just awful timing. Parliament ended before it could receive that third reading. And the reason that was even worse timing is that the bill already had support from all parties and from the cosmetics industry. So a letter that was submitted by Cosmetics Alliance Canada to the Senate and and to the House uh, shared that this kind of testing is no longer common in Canada. So even their website states, essentially, as Cosmetic Alliance members are well aware, animal testing to support the sale of cosmetics is virtually non-existent in Canada. You know, this is, for all intents and purposes, something that just could easily pass and would prevent future uptake of testing on animals. We know now that this process is being restarted with a new bill, uh, Bill S-5, that's currently underway. Chantal, could you share more about what's happening with that bill? Absolutely. It, it is really frustrating to see that that died during the election cycle. A little bit more background on toxicity testing. So toxicity testing tests the degree to which a substance affects an organism. So for instance, the length of exposure of a substance like a new chemical, the route of exposure, whether it's toxic through contact to the skin, inhalation, injection, and the concentration of a substance. As you can imagine, it results in pretty severe suffering. It's considered the most harmful use of animals in science, and it commonly causes the most severe level of suffering. And it impacts about 90,000 animals per year in Canada. Testing the substances involves forced ingestion, forced inhalation, and skin and eye irritation. And then if animals don't die as a result of the experiments, they're typically killed afterwards. So this is pretty horrific. The US and the EU have already made commitments to phase out toxicity testing, and the federal government in Canada did make phasing out toxicity testing a campaign promise in the last election. So it is something that it makes sense as the next step in progress for animals in this area. Bill S-5 is an amendment to the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, or CEPA, and that's the law that governs how we assess chemicals and processes by which we test that substances won't harm the environment and human health. And part of that process is toxicity testing. So the testing to determine toxic effects of a certain substance, for instance, if a new ingredient was going to be used in a product. And part of Bill S-5 aims to address toxicity testing on animals. So when the the previous bill died before being passed when the election cycle happened, and then it was reintroduced. It was reintroduced to Senate, and Senate made a lot of amendments that actually strengthened the protections. And now it's gone back to Parliament again, where the Standing Committee on Environment is going to review it again. 
And Animal Justice has been working with government officials to make amendments to the bill. So working within the bounds of the law that's on the table to make as much impact as possible for animals. And the goal right now is to make animal testing the very last resort when absolutely no alternatives are possible. Something I think is really interesting about this is some other countries that have passed laws in this area are not allowing essentially like products that are made of components that are tested in other countries. And that's sort of the gold standard for a law like this, where you're not just outsourcing the problem of testing on animals to another country so that the testing is still happening, but just elsewhere. And I'm really curious to see whether this bill ends up including some elements of that where it's a, an end to that practice altogether, or whether it allows for loopholes where the testing can just happen in another country. That's a good point. And there are a lot of alternatives that are available now that would make that unnecessary in most cases. So speaking of alternatives, could you speak to some of the alternative methods to testing on animals and how does the effectiveness of those methods compare to animal testing? Yeah, yeah. Something that's really important to consider when talking about alternatives, it's not just the animal testing piece, but it's also just thinking about the types of animals that are used. So sure, there there are live animals that are used. There's also animals that are purposely bred to be used for dissection in education. So those are animals that are essentially bred and then end up being killed and then used. And what we know is that there's a number of technological innovations that make it possible to learn about biology without intentionally producing animals to be killed for dissection or used for various forms of research, including testing. The Society for Humane Science shares that although 79% of science teachers in British Columbia still do dissection with their students, non-animal alternatives to dissection have been shown to be better in terms of how well they help students meet their learning goals, and they even save time and money. So they have a great blog post with just so many non-animal model alternatives that cover a wide variety of species. And any teacher, any teacher anywhere can use those resources through either purchasing them or there's some available for free and move to a place where dissection isn't costing animal lives. I can see how requiring that in some schools would actually be a deterrent for people who would be more prone to using animal-free methods. Because just anecdotally in my own life, I've seen people who have dropped out of the biology stream of science specifically because dissection was a requirement in their school. So it is interesting to see where the future will go and, and what kind of individuals that will draw into the field. Jumping back to Testing methods, one of the main arguments I've heard in favor of animal testing is that it's necessary for medical progress. So as you mentioned, there's definitely been life-changing medications developed in the past through methods that used animal research like penicillin. And you'll still hear people say, well, I understand the harms that animal research causes, but I personally have a loved one with a life-threatening condition and we need to find a cure for that. And in reality, those two perspectives, the one advocating for animal well-being and the one in favor of making progress for human medical treatments, are becoming more and more aligned because we've seen that developments using animal-based methods, while they have existed in the past, they're few and far between, and that process might actually be slowing medical progress. Yeah, absolutely. The film Medical Illusion 
produced by documentary filmmaker Gary Charbonneau that just came out, covers how ineffective animal use is and the different alternative technologies that are available. So it's estimated that around 95% of drugs that are shown to be effective in animals failed to be effective in human clinical trials. So just that failure rate is enormous. You don't accept that failure rate in any other area. And somehow, because it's animal lives, we're, you know, as a society, just discounting that. In some cases, institutions are testing on animals for diseases that don't even occur naturally in those non-human animals. So they have to be artificially created in the animal, creating an unrealistic disease process. And then that results in drug responses that are entirely different than that what would occur in a human body. And so the scientific experts in this film, Medical Illusion, advocate for investment in technologies such as more personalized medicine, uh, such as tissue engineering, and then also bioprinting technologies such as 3D organ printing. And the one that I think is really interesting is organs on a microchip. And that's, we've got a link to that technology so you can learn more about that in the blog post. I'm really excited for a future where these technologies are the go-to for all of our scientists. Absolutely. And it's so exciting to see that there's also medical professionals advocating for the same thing, like Dr. Charu Chandrasekara at the Canadian Centre for Alternatives to Animal Methods is doing a lot of great work in this area. And it would really benefit everyone to move away from animal testing. Of course, we know that the animals and those who care for them would benefit by not having testing required on animals, but also the institutions doing this research and the medical community as a whole. When you consider the investment that goes into trying to make medical progress, each new medication represents a massive investment of time and money, about 10 years and more than a billion dollars on average that go to waste if a drug fails in a human clinical trial. That's huge investment trying to find necessary cures for life-changing conditions and diseases only to fail at the human clinical trial stage. One example is more than 400 human trials have failed for Alzheimer's, but Alzheimer's has already been cured in mice because their biology is the basis for so much animal-based research. So requiring animal testing means that treatments that could be effective for humans might be thrown out because they aren't effective for animals that they aren't even intended to be used on. Who knows how many medications that would have been life-saving for humans have been missed because they, they simply weren't safe for mice. So I think that's a good background on animal testing and research and education. We always like to talk about what our audience can do to advocate against animal testing. So what are some ways that people can advocate against animal testing, research, and education? Well, certainly such an easy thing to do is to purchase products that weren't tested on animals and to know for certain that a product's ingredients were not tested on animals and that there are no animal ingredients used as well. So some something like gelatin, etc. PETA's cruelty-free program, which they've rebranded to be the Beauty Without Bunnies program, and it's, an, it's kind of an iconic logo of a bunny with, with pink in its ears. It accredits more than 5,900 different companies. And their website's a really helpful way to learn more about that program. Leaping Bunny is another program that accredits companies. They only accredit based on companies that don't test on animals, which means accredited products might still contain animal-based ingredients. So when making purchasing decisions, it's important to review an ingredient list 
to ensure that no animal products like gelatin, um, you know, or, or coloring based on animal bodies is included in that product. There's some trade-offs of these two programs in terms of how they accredit, how they work. And there's an image uh, that we'll link in the blog post that is was created by someone else from Ethical Elephant that can help distinguish the benefits, kind of pros and cons of those different programs. Absolutely. That's a really actionable step that everyone can take just every time you're buying a product. Uh, another step is contacting your MP to support phasing out toxicity testing. Bill S5 is in consideration at the House of Commons right now, and that could make a huge impact for some of the most severe suffering that happens for animals used in science. You can visit the Animal Justice Academy video that we'll link in the blog post accompanying this episode for more details about the bill and about toxicity testing in general. But for a little backgrounder, you you don't need to be an expert to speak with your MP. You can call or email them and just let them know that you want to talk about Bill S5 on SEPA and you want to ensure that they support reducing the unnecessary suffering of animals. Science is evolving. Other countries have already made commitments to phase out toxicity testing. So this is a really attainable goal that Canada can make to to have a significant impact in the lives of animals. Absolutely. And I think another really big way that we can have impacts are at different levels of educational institutions. So this could be anywhere ranging from high schools where dissection is happening to universities where you could join an animal care committee. So if you're someone who has the capacity to volunteer your time, joining an animal care committee is a way to make a tangible impact for animals now. Uh, you can essentially just reach out to your local university, find out if they're conducting research on animals, and ask more about their selection process. Get involved in making sure that research is consistent with guidelines and regulations, and even more uh, recognizing that there's a, a place for someone to serve as an advocate for animals. The other role, you know, if, if you have kids or even if you don't, reaching out to high schools and finding out what programs are being used uh, for dissection. See if, you know, you can meet with a biology teacher and share about the different alternative models and find out what the barriers are to them adopting those models. Certainly every single one of us can become an individual advocate in communities because those decisions are being made on a teacher by teacher basis. And so, you know, whether you're in a big city or a small town, you can make a big difference of the animals that are affected by the decisions those teachers are making. Absolutely. And this is such a rapidly developing field that there's there's so much space for impact on the short term and the long term for animals. I think that's a good place to wrap it up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Now that we've gone over all these laws around animal cruelty over the past six months, we're going to be wrapping up the year next month with a discussion on how the laws and regulations are enforced. So I hope you'll join us in December for that conversation. Until then, if you'd like to share your thoughts on this topic or any other topics that we've discussed already, please reach out to the Vancouver Humane Society on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much for your time. Bye. The Informed Animal Ally is a podcast by the Vancouver Humane Society. If you found this episode helpful, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review to help us reach more supporters of animals. To support this project and other initiatives to build a kinder world for animals, you can make a donation at vancouverhumane.ca. You can also follow the Vancouver Humane Society on Facebook at Vancouver Humane Society, 
Instagram at Vancouver Humane or Twitter at Van Humane. The music in this episode is the song Jonah's Message for New York by Dr. Turtle, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Public License. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being an animal ally.